I want to begin a brand new teaching series that'll go three weeks. It's titled Sex, God's Amazing Design. So if you have your Bibles, join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to camp out there. The Bible has a lot to say on many topics that deal with life and life management. And what we'll learn is that sex was God's idea. It's used for procreation and recreation. And I do understand this is a very tender and sensitive topic. For some of you, you're on the mountaintop in terms of your sexual you know, life, and you're right there. You check off all the marks. You hit all the targets in God's Word. There are others of you that a lot of the boxes are unchecked. And when they're unchecked, it means that there's something you're struggling with. So I want you to be mindful that there are people in front of you, next to you, behind you, that may not be at the best place in their lives. So be respectful of that. My job is to be a spiritual dad and help you walk through all of God's Word, even delicate and sensitive topics like this. But I want you to know that God's imprint on sexuality is seen everywhere, even in the animal kingdom. We find that some animals, they fight for mating rights. And some animals have to dance for mating rights. Some of the birds dance for it. This bird, he's dancing because he wants to woo this female. <laughs> I'm so thankful. I don't have to dance. <laughs> I have two left feet. <laughs> Watch how majestic he gets <laughs> with his feet and his dancing moves just to let her know, I'm a good choice <laughs> for you. Pick me. I'm the guy. I'm your guy. Yeah. And it's amazing when you watch it because different birds have different moves. Look at the three females perched on the branch. This bird is dancing in a unique way. <laughs> he has all the moves. <laughs> God's beautiful imprint is there. Yeah, and <laughs> he pauses for a moment, you know, and you'll see he just picks it up. So watch. You think it's all over? No, he wants to get her attention. He wants one of the ladies for his lady. <laughs> and so he just... <laughs> That's just God's imprint. I mean, God's beautiful when it comes to the way he creates. The Bible has a lot to say about sex. It speaks of the graciousness of sex and the gruesomeness of sex. It presents, it presents its delight and it presents its damage when misused. It presents its appreciation and it presents its abuse. And so we need to then understand if God is the designer of sex, what's his intent for it? 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12 says... I have the right to do anything, so you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. 
You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. This is a mouthful. So let's take a back step and try to get a big perspective as to what Paul's doing. Paul was the founder of a church in the city of Corinth. The membership of this church were largely made up of Gentiles. They had no church background whatsoever, no religious background whatsoever. And there was a lot of problems going on in that congregation in regards to how they carried themselves sexually. In fact, we find in chapter 5, one guy was having sex with his stepmother. And instead of people chastising him, challenging him, punishing him, helping to correct him, they were like praising him. Some were like giving high fives, fist bumps, man. Paul says, wait, wait a second, wait a second. When you give your life to Jesus, your sexuality, I'm sorry, Deacon Barry, would you take the young man to another part of the room where you can be able to enjoy the service but not disrupt everyone? Thank you. I want you to see, you know, stay with us now, stay with me, stay with me. What Paul was saying was this, that you need to have a lifestyle that shows your submission to Christ in every area. How you spend your money, how you carry yourself vocationally, and even how you deal with yourself sexually. So that was Paul's backdrop. And so I don't know where you are in having a theology of sexuality, but I do know that Jesus, he wants you to be able to have the best sexual life possible. And that often takes place, or not often, it takes place within the context of you adhering to God's design. Wave at me if you're still with me. Good. Paul's approach to sex begins with this thought. Beliefs guide us. See, a well-known argument that the Corinthians were raising now was this. They're saying, look, sex is just another bodily function, like eating. Food for the stomach, the stomach for food. What's the big deal? If I want to have a hamburger, if I want to have lasagna, I can have it by you know, my choice. It's, it's, it has no bearings whatsoever on my spiritual life, my soul, my morals, my integrity. It's a separate issue. It's a bodily function. If I want to be able to eat steak, I eat steak. If I want to eat salmon, I eat salmon. What's the big deal? If I want to have sex, I have sex. I want to have sex with this woman, I have sex with her. I want to have sex with this boy, I have sex with this boy. What's the big deal? It's a separate issue. Paul says, time out. Time out. Paul says, everything may be permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Paul says, sex is not like eating. 
because it has great implications. Now, to the Gentile who had no religious background, to them, sex and eating was the same, both physical bodily functions. To Jewish people who had a religious background, they thought was staunch spiritual life is when I subjugate and suppress all sexual desires because that is secondary, tertiary. It's not valued. That's, you know, I push it back there. Paul says both extremes are wrong. And so what Paul introduced was Christianity brought this radical perspective to those who embraced Christ as Savior. Paul's saying, look, sex is God's amazing design. Sex is not dirty. It's not immoral. It's not to be debased. It's not to be equated with food. So what Paul is laying out for them is the fact that, yeah, I agree, food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but he's saying that's transitory, but your body must not be dismissed as unimportant. C.S. Lewis put it this way. You find very few people who want to eat things that really are not food or to do other things with food instead of eating it. In other words, perversions of the food appetite are rare, but perversions of the sex instinct are numerous, hard to cure, and frightful. So you don't see people eating perverted things. But when it comes to sex, they have a different perspective. Let's understand. Beliefs guide us. Paul responds by laying out three simple arguments under that umbrella, beliefs shape us. Paul says, wait a second. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. It's meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. In other words, when you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, said, Lord, wash away my sins, be my Savior, be my Lord, God looks at that and says, you gave your all to me. Don't take your physical body and misrepresent, stain it, misuse it in a way that doesn't honor me. Because your body are the mystical members of Christ. That means people are going to interpret Jesus based on how I carry myself as a Jesus follower. And so I have to see then the way I carry myself, it impacts others. So Paul's saying, wait a second, your, your, your body, is, it's more than just for eating and physical activities. Your body is a sign, it's an indicator. It's part of the mystical members of the body of Christ. And so you have to ask yourself questions like, will sex with that person, will it damage or have a damaging effect on my family? Will it have a, have a damaging effect on my church? Will it have a damaging effect on my testimony? of my being a follower of Jesus, would it affect those things? I remember this one lady came up to my wife, who's our music and creative arts pastor, and she said, I, I want to be on the worship team. And she said, well, this is my first time here. My wife said, wait a second, we, we don't know anything about you. She said, and she asked, Who, who's this fellow? Oh, he's my boyfriend. Yeah, and he's married to someone else. Time out, time out, time out. We can't promote behavior that is not in accordance with Scripture. 
And she says, I'm gone. And we said, bye. See, when Paul used the phrase sexual immorality, in the Greek, it's the word pornea. It's the English word pornography. And this English word, pornography, it means then that it includes things like phone sex, it includes masturbation, this word pornea, that is, lap dances, lewdness, fornication, it includes incest, it includes homosexuality, it includes bestiality, and a lot of other things that I've not named. You may say, how come you don't name them? Because people are inventing new sins every day. You You can't even name them. See, the argument that Paul was raising was this. Your body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for your body. Argument number one. Argument number two, he says, sex sins unites you with the person that you have sex with. And he's not even talking about the issue of intercourse. He's saying it goes deeper than that. Not only is he talking about sexually transmitted disease, not only is he talking about having children out of wedlock, it's going beyond that. It connects you in the deepest level emotionally. My wife and I, we've been married for 35 years, and because of our relationship for 35 years, my sexual relationship with my wife, it unites me on a level where I know what she feels, what she thinks, and likewise she knows what I feel and what I think because of the deep connection that takes place when you deal with connecting with another person sexually. One of the most painful times in my pastoral experience was about 25 years ago. One of the leaders in our church, godly woman, she carried herself in such an impeccable way, above reproach, except for one time. Single woman, she goes on a date, has a one-night stand, contracts HIV-AIDS, And in about six months, I buried her. And to watch her body just become so emaciated because of a choice. I want you to see then, it's so important that we understand this one flesh union, as Paul's saying. He says, it's not a bodily function like eating lasagna. It's more than that. It's, it's, It's a relational obligation, expectation that occurs in that union. And Paul is saying, look, you know, this loose casual sex is equating as like the members of the body of Christ having relations with a prostitute. Paul says, stay away from that. See, beliefs really do guide us. Paul's third argument is that sexual immorality, it, it's a sin against your own body. Sexual immorality, it's, you know why it's a sin against your own body? It stains you and it gives you a craving for something. It was about... 20 years ago, one of the men in the church said to me after one of the services, Pastor, can we we meet this week? i got to talk to you. So I set some time aside to talk with this man. He's married. At the time, he had two children. I said, what's going on? Let's call his name Frank. What's going on, Frank? We sat across the coffee table in my office. Frank's face began to quiver a little because what he's about to say is like it was bothering him. 
And he didn't know how I was going to respond to what he said, but he knew he needed help. He said, Pastor, two days a week, I've been visiting prostitutes on the way to work. Because, and I just let him talk for a while. He said, I realized that when I was single and I didn't know Christ, I was involved sexually with different women and I'd created this kind of appetite for this sexual behavior. And my wife is not into that. And I'd created a craving and I found myself engaging prostitutes to satisfy this craving that I developed sexually. I then helped him walk through a healing journey. And to this day, he and his wife are married, healthy, strong marriage, because God was able to help him through his sexual brokenness. I want you to see that Paul was saying to the Corinthians, it's a sexual immorality. It's a sin against your own body. I got this call from this, this lady and she's crying on the other end of the phone. I said, what's going on? Let's call her name Mary. What's happening, Mary? I knew who she was. She said, Pastor, you, you know I've just been married for about a year, but, and, and, and she's a woman now in her late 30s, got married later in life, and she said... I've done a lot of foolish things sexually. Even after I became a Christian, I would just have all these one-night stands. And I, and, and I messed up sexually how I carried myself because I craved love so much. And I was so dysfunctional how I carried myself sexually. And I didn't realize what was going on when I did all that. And she said, now my husband found out how, I, how loose I used to be. And he's so hurt. He keeps fussing at me about things I can't change. I can't go back to the past and undo all those one-night stands. My husband feels cheated. What do I do? Help me save my marriage. And I helped them walk through what it really means. The kingdom of God is like a man who found a jewel in a field and he went and sold all that he had and bought the field. I said to the husband, when you married her, you married even her past. You have to let it go. But I'm saying that, and it's more involved, but I'm just giving you the overview. What I'm simply saying is this. Paul was teaching us. He said, look, look, look. You've got to realize beliefs guide, guides us. If you don't have a belief structure that is cohesive and coheres and united and integrated, your life will just be a big mishmash. It's like a jigsaw puzzle where you do things. Over here I believe in Jesus, but over in my sexuality, I do my own thing. When it comes to money management, I do what I want to do. When it comes to this, I, you know, raising kids, I, 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 I do whatever my parents did, and, and so I do what feels right. No! We must be able to say... Sola Scriptura. We 
which means a Latin phrase, the scriptures alone becomes the final basis of my faith and authority. Like you, when I came to faith in Christ, I was an atheist. An atheistic thinking, it's all about doing whatever feels right to me. But when I gave my heart to Christ, I knew what it was like to live empty, have absence of reality, not have all of the value systems that make your life meaningful and flourishing. And so when I gave my heart to Jesus, I had to give up sexual behavior that didn't align with Scripture and keep myself pure for marriage because I wanted to please God more than anything else. And it must start there. It got to start there. Shake your hands. Shake off that conviction. Shake it off, shake it off, shake it off. Getting way too quiet in here, way too quiet, way too quiet. Behavior shapes us. See, sex sin stains you. Uh, we, we may not even realize that because the Bible is so different than the theology of this world or the philosophy of this world. The world says, do whatever feels right. Nobody can tell you what to do. It feels right, go for it. Then when you get caught, they say, look how stupid you were. Sex sin stains you because it exploits the deepest aspect of your emotions. Sexual activity, it opens you up to deep passions and exposes you to your most painful wounds. And think about it. Like we saw those birds dancing. When a person has sex outside of the covenant relationship of marriage, as the Bible teaches, there's a lot of seduction going on. The seducer becomes jaded and hardened in an attempt to get what he or she wants. And the seduced feels violated, manipulated, and scarred by the seducer's actions and promises. You can't use sex to get a mate, and you certainly can't use sex to keep a mate. You got to put it in its limits. The Apostle Paul, he gets even more specific to the Corinthian church. In chapter 6, verse 18, Paul says, Flee from sexual immorality. All of the sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The Apostle Paul is teaching us that your behavior shapes you. See, sex sin stains the highest, highest source of your creativity. God is so gracious that he gifted each of us with the ability to create little people. And they look just like us. It's amazing. You look at them, you know that, hey, this, <laughs> they look so alike. I remember when I was a boy, I used to tease my dad because on one of his feet, his second toes just sticks up. So all the other toes just laying flat and this one sticks up like that. So I said, look, <laughs> it looks crazy. It just sticks right up. I'd laugh. And he tried to put it down, but it just bounced back up. When I became 40, my second toe... Stuck right up. 
it's amazing where you don't even realize that, <laughs> that this imprint's there. You know why the devil fights us so much when it comes to sexuality? Because he can't create. He can't create little demons, little devils. He has no creative ability, no life-giving abilities. And so we must then be mindful that our sexuality, our behavior shapes who we are. And it shapes who we become. And what I've seen and experienced among Christians when we're not mindful of how we carry ourselves sexually is this. Sex sins produces guilt in Christians that cripples our confidence and authority. I hear things like, I can't shake the feelings of guilt and shame. Can I ever be forgiven of the condemnation I feel? Can I ever be restored back to ministry? Christians say, can I ever regain my original outlook, my feelings of purity? I feel so jaded. I, I, I lied so much. I cheated on my wife and I had all this deception. I feel so, so, so ugly on the inside. Can I ever change? The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6.18 from the New Living Translation. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Paul says, don't play with it. Don't, 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 don't take time and see how close I can get. And you know, I, you know, I just want to pull my foot out before I fall over. Paul says, no, run from it. In my pastoral ministry, there are three times that I did this. Couple comes in my office, or one of the members of the marriage comes into my office and says, Pastor, I've been involved in an affair. And I listen. I have so much shame. I'm tired of lying. I don't feel good about myself. I said, Have you cut it off? No. I said, We're going to cut it off right now. Pull the phone, put it right on the desk. Give me the girl's number. Opens up his cell phone, give me the number. Boom, 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 boom. I dial it. Hello, she says. I said, this is Dr. David Ireland, the senior pastor of Christ Church. I have in my office John Smith. And John wants to say something to you now, and I want to just put you on speaker. I know this is very tender. I know this is very awkward, but we've got to do this for both of your sakes. John, talk. And John spills his guts and lets her know we've got to break this off. It's just not healthy. And then I tell John, step out of the room. I need to chat with her. I pick up the handset. Let's call her name. Alice, Alice, I know that this hurts you because you never expected to have this kind of broken relationship and the pain that you feel because of how this man has dealt with you. 
He may not have known he was married. And what he did to you is very, very wrong. I'm not sure where you are in your spiritual journey, but I do know there's an emptiness in you. That's why you fell into this trap. And I talked to her like a dad would talk to her. Because I realize both the seduced and the seducer are going through trouble. See, sexual intimacy, the reason why this thing, when it's, when it's defined as sin, sex sin, based on the biblical definition, this intimacy affects every aspect of your creativity, your life. It just, it, it eats into the fabric of your soul. But it doesn't stop there. Matthew chapter 1, it is so eye-opening. When you go to the New Testament, Old Testament has 39 books, New Testament has 27 books, and the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew, when you open it up, it's going to talk about Jesus. But before it gets into the nitty-gritty about Jesus, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, starts off with the genealogy of Jesus. It goes to who came before Jesus that Jesus was in the family line. And it's pretty boring to read. Because this person, and if you read the King James Version, it's really tough. This person begat that person. This person begat, begat, you know, old English means this person was the father of that person. This person was the mother of this. And so, but when you get to verse 5, it says that Salmon, guy's name, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. You got to put the brakes on. What do you mean the brakes? When you read the book of Joshua and you find out who Rahab was, many, 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 many years before Jesus came, Rahab was a prostitute. She lived in a red light district. Rahab was a woman of the night getting paid for sex. That was over her vocation. She became a follower of God. God forgave her, cleansed her. She married a Jewish guy. Together they had their children, and their children had their children. And down through the generations that followed, Jesus comes. And so in God's infinite wisdom, he's saying, look, if I can cleanse Rahab, and cause Rahab to be in the genealogical line of the Savior of the world, I can do the same thing for you and make sure that the old is cleansed. What a mighty God we serve. But we must see that beliefs guide us, behavior shapes us, and boundaries protect us. You need some boundaries in your life, sexually. You may say, well, what boundaries? What do you mean boundaries? Do I walk around with metal on? No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> it's, that's not what I'm talking about. You don't walk around with a t-shirt that says AIDS kill. I mean, no, that's not what I'm saying. There are boundaries that the Bible says you can put in place so that you can be able to maximize the procreation and recreational nature of sex, which is in the context of marriage. Here's a, one of the boundaries. The boundaries is God's word, submitting to it. First Thessalonians 4 verse 3 says, It is God's will that you keep away from sexual sin as a mark of your devotion to Him. 
Each of you should know that finding a husband or a wife for yourself is to be done in a holy and honorable way. Not in the passionate, lustful way of people who don't know God. So Paul's saying, look, you want to have boundaries to protect you so you don't fall into a trap of sexual pitfalls and sin? He says, erect this boundary. Be, be sober about sexual temptation and let the Word of God be what guides you. In other words, let the authority of the Word deal with you. Let it be something that shapes your values, your morals, your outlook, your behavior, your desires, and you, all of those things. Let it work in you. And, and Paul's saying, look, you want to make sure that you protect yourself? Don't look for a spouse in the bar. You're single? Don't go to the club and expect to find you know, someone there as a potential spouse. That's not who you want. Because their worldview doesn't support Scripture and support this. When you say, I believe in abstinence, they say, well, forget you. And you think that having sex is going to keep them an established marriage? It won't. Sexual temptation is very flirtatious. It attempts to lure and seduce you. For men... Wave at me, all the men, all the men, all the men, all the brothers, all the men. Thank you, men. Thank you. Be careful of this, men. What causes men to fall sexually is oftentimes they have a desire to rescue a damsel in distress. We men are wired by God to feel needed, to feel wanted, to feel valued when we're rescuing someone. Wave at me, all the ladies. Let me give you a little caution. Don't present yourself to men in a needy or weak way that screams the lyrics of the song, Rescue me. Take me in your arms. Rescue me. I want your tender charm because I'm lonely and I'm blue. I need you and your love too. Come on and rescue me. No, that's not your song. That's Fontella Bass. That's not your song. So for men, the temptation is really, the, the lady feels, is projecting neediness. For women, there's a different allure. Her allure and her temptation is words of affection, romance, and love. The woman feels special, a prize, a queen, a rich jewel. So caution to the men. Because you should not put yourself in a position where you create temptation for the women. You may say, well, what do I need to do? Don't present yourself to the ladies in a seductive, suave, and romantic manner. That sounds like music to her ears. Almost like Al Green. Let's stay together. I I'm so in love with you. Whatever you want to do, it's all right with me. Because you make me feel so brand new. And I want to spend my life with you. Let me say that since, baby, since we've been together, loving you forever is what I need. Let me be the one you come running to. I'll never be untrue. I wish I could sing, but I just, <laughs> I would have sang the thing. I mean, <laughs> the idea is that you have to make sure you're not projecting yourself in that way. See, you got to have boundaries in place. Like me, even as a, as, as a pastor, you know, I have to put boundaries in place. So I don't create any weird relationship with any woman in our church or out of our church other than my wife. And you say, what do you do? I never create 
any kind of messaging in my sermons that make husbands, dads, brothers, men in our congregation feel as if I'm being seductive to the women. Never. You may say, well, why do you always have a guy with you when you walk? Because I want to make sure I carry myself in such a way that no temptation is going to cause me to succumb or I avoid any impropriety and the appearance of evil. It's a boundary. You've got to be able to put those boundaries in place. See, in other words, you're using the boundary of awareness. It's a mark of your devotion to the Lord. See, your desire to honor God in all of your relationships is proof that you're a believer in Christ. Pleasing God must be of the utmost importance to you. And so when you practice awareness, in other words, anybody can fall sexually. Anybody. I don't care if you're 80. You say, well, 80? Yeah. I remember speaking upstate New York. They put me in a bed and breakfast place. I was there two years in a row at this conference. And first year I met this woman. You know, she was, Phyllis was 80 years old. She was so caring as she, she was cooking the meals and serving and I said thank you Phyllis she was so attentive to me as a guest next year I went back they put me in the same bed and breakfast so I, assumed, I said where's Phyllis and the owner said oh Phyllis Phyllis ran off to Florida I said what do you mean Phyllis ran off to Florida <laughs> she, she said Phyllis met somebody and ran off they just ran off 80 year old run off I mean it's, a, it's not about age <laughs> You gotta make sure you're practicing awareness as to who you are on the inside. I love the personal disciplines that some of the Bible characters put in place. Job was one. In Job 31, verse 1, Job says, I made a solemn pact with myself never to undress a girl with my eyes. Whoa. Job is serious. What do you mean, don't undress a girl with your eyes? You really need me to spell that out? Don't stare. Don't disrobe her. You're not Superman with x-ray vision looking. Don't don't do that. And Job is saying that. And by the way, this is not just the men. It's the women. There are women that can strip you, put you back on, redress you, all that in a split second. Job Job says, don't do it. Don't do it. Put a personal discipline in place. What do you mean? What do you do then? Look down. Close your eyes like you're concentrating. (laughs) Look away. Pick a book. You don't have a book. Get an invisible book. Pull out your cell phone. Look at the weather. Look out the window. Look at the ants crawling on the floor. But don't undress her or him with your eyes. Because you're going to want to feed into it. Just recently on the American Airlines flight, the flight didn't even take off yet from Florida in route to California. On the tarmac, this commotion, big commotion broke out. A wife went crazy when she caught her husband staring at the the women on the plane. In fact, this short glance, she started to curse out the husband and started to swing at him. So a flight attendant walked over to the seat and said, sir, come with me. While the guy gets up to get reseated, the wife chased him down the aisle of the airplane with a laptop, hits him with a laptop. Why? Because he was staring at other women, which means he was sexualizing them, and she wanted none of that. That's what you might say. What's the moral of the story? Some say, well, don't get caught. 
That's the moral. That's not the moral of the story. That's not the moral of the story. The moral of the story is don't undress a girl or a guy with your eyes. That's the moral of the story. And so remember, sex is God's amazing design. And I love what Paul did in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 and 10. He says, look, I, I know you Corinthians. Some of you used to be male prostitutes. Some of you used to be, used to be involved in bestiality. Some of you were involved in harlotry. Some of you, all kinds of sexual you know, brokenness and immorality. And then verse 11, he concludes with that. He says, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. In other words, our God is a phenomenal healer. He cleansed you of all that junk. He sanctified you, made you feel whole. There is no sign of your former life that you used to have sexually. Why? Because the Lord transformed you. He is in the business of doing that even to this day. So what we've learned from the Scripture is that beliefs guide us, behavior shapes us, boundaries protect us. And I want to conclude our time together today with Holy Communion.